Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. I'm Don Povia, joined in the new year by Kyle Bunch. New year, new Kyle, no mustache. I was just saying, I was hoping we'd have a Fu Manchu by now, or at least a handlebar going on. I, 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 between, I needed aerodynamics, I needed to, you know, cut down, make weight. So, you know, here we are, uh, you know, my lip is back. The lip sweater is uh, in the drawer until, until November, probably. I gotta say though, you look a lot younger. It brings out a youthfulness with this, uh, with this clean face. I think it's, I think it's maybe I got some sleep over the break for the first time in a while. But uh, yeah, we'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, new year, but I think we're still feeling the effects of that old year that uh, everybody likes to uh, bitch and moan about a little bit. But um, the opposite of bitching and moaning, we are joined by <laughs> one of what I feel is one of the most pleasant, likable. Uh, and genuine people that we've met over the years, and uh, we're we're proud to be joined by Maggie Hendricks. Maggie, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to to reconnect with you guys. Well, I, I love the fact that you're sitting at your sewing table, as you <laughs> indicated, because Maggie was like, I hate to say it, she was like kind of like the den mom of the blogs of balls. <laughs> bring cookies to every event and that was like I really look forward to that uh but also you know we've done three events in Chicago and she is kind of our our local guide and really kind of welcoming and 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 really I've embraced the city as as a northeastern I'd, I'd love to learn your city and I think a big part of it is the people and the personalities like yourself that we met there well thank you I I am you know I was born here, raised here. Chicago's my home. So I love showing it off for people and giving them a little, you know, a little behind the, you know, you may not know this place as much and do all that kind of things. I like, I like being the host for my city. Yeah. I feel like in some ways, I mean, nothing against New York and our roots there, but I feel like Chicago's kind of became the, the unofficial home for a lot of the things that we did in terms of, if nothing else, a, a lot of events and B, I think capturing the vibe as, as, you know, probably the greatest sports city out there, dare I say. And, and just, I the think people, so. I mean, you know, there's a good claim to be made and uh, you go to a game and um, but yeah, the people that it always brought together. So again, Maggie, you, you played such a big role in, in that for us. Oh, thanks guys. It's funny. Cause last week, uh, Patrick Wicks was talking about the DC connections and contingent and all the guys that have come out from there. But, um, you know, to our point, uh, Chicago, I think is, is just as solid just with the people and, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the centrality of, of individuals that, that are based in Chicago. So it's really cool. And, and Maggie certainly a, a great representative of that. So touched on it earlier, the, the the new year the old year 2020 maggie um you know you had gone from editing and and writing uh on, on the digital side and and you were hosting some radio uh with julie DeCaro, also one of our uh, our friends and, and one of our former speakers um you, you told me that come march uh as the world was coming to a halt so did you know a lot of stuff that was going on in your world uh what happened with that what, what happened last year yeah, so uh, it, like come around February and March, um, I at that point I had been working, uh, doing a lot of women's basketball coverage for the athletic. Um, when the All Star Game was in town, I was busy the entire weekend, um, and that was just like mid February. And it was I just remember it being so cold and having run from place to place all over the city, and but it was so fun too because I you know I had so much work to do, I had so many stories. Um, so I was, yeah, I was doing women's basketball coverage for the athletic. I was, uh, freelancing for Associated Press. So I was at Bulls games and Northwestern games. Um, and then I had my radio show with Julie on the weekends and 670 the score. And then about like probably the end of March, the beginning of March, when the game stopped, obviously my work with Associated Press stopped because I, there were no games to go cover. Um, and then not long after that, The Athletic froze all of their freelancers for a while. Um, and then um, I got laid off from the radio show. So it was, it was like all at once, you know, over a course of a couple of weeks, this career that I had after I'd been laid off at USA Today, this freelancing career that I had worked really hard to cobble together had just, just went poof, uh, thanks to the pandemic. And since we don't know when the pandemic's over... I, do, I have no idea if it's coming back. I'm trying to, I've been working very hard over the year, past year to get myself in a place where if it does come back, great. If it doesn't come back, I'm still 
can find other things to do, but it still is a little terrifying. And I mean, obviously there's the just practical realities of job and life and that side, but I'm curious from a, you know, so like you said, I mean, you had all of these different roles. So much of your identity was tied to that and, and, you know, not to get right into serious stuff, but, but I'm curious about that experience from that side too, of, of trying to decouple from that so quickly amidst all this. I mean, and, and honestly, that was, that was absolutely the hardest part. Um, financially, at, like my, my husband was, was still working and doing well. He ended up getting laid off in October, but um, we were, you know, it was fine. But the, yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of my identity, Maggie Hendrick, sports writer. That was like, in, in realizing, first of all, that that's not all I am. And, and I'm a whole lot more than that. And that, like I can write about lots of things. I don't just have to write about sports. I don't just have to talk about sports. Um, and maybe there's a better there's a better world waiting for me if I loosen my grip a little bit and not think sports is the only thing I can do. It took. I, I when I'm telling you guys, it took work. It was crying. It was like it was. It was hard. It was hard. There was there. You know, I was the beat writer for the Chicago Sky for the Athletic last year. Um, and covering the WNBA, it's just a, a joy. Um, but there was a day, uh, you guys both know my husband, Pete Gaines. We were driving, we were driving past, just driving down the highway. And I saw the uh, practice center where the sky practiced. And I broke into sobs because it was like, am I ever going to go there again? Am I ever going to? I liked my career. Why can't I? You know, it was like a lot. But you, you know, you have to then just kind of recenter yourself and, and realize all the good things that you are capable of, and they don't have to revolve around sports. And, but it, it wasn't a small thing, not at all. I fear that there's, there's twofold with the industry that you're in. One is, you know, cuts are seem to be a frequent thing in, in the media space. Uh, so there's that. And then, you know, the, the impact of COVID on top of that, um, Coming out of it, you know, we were talking about the outlook for 2021. Um, you've covered Olympics as long as I've known you as well. And, and I brought up, hey, Olympics 2021. Hey, will there be an opportunity there? It's, if there's anyone online that can write about the Olympics, it's it's Maggie. Um, and, and you're saying there's even uncertainty about that. Do you think it's as, um, your career-wise, it's as tied as much to um, – I would say COVID or the industry and the layoffs that come with the industry itself. I think, I think it's a probably about 50, 50 because it, you know, I mean, the industry wasn't in great shape before COVID. Um, and like I was doing, I was working on a terrestrial radio station. Terrestrial radio isn't growing. Um, it's not, I don't think it's shrinking as quickly as it was, but it's definitely not growing. So when uh, you know, when there's those problems and then you have advertisers who get very nervous very easily, you know, it all just kind of works in to be a problem. But I also think once we get to the, uh, the other side of the pandemic, hopefully, you know, we're all be vaccinated and be healthy soon. It's, st- I mean, it's still not just going to grow back immediately into this robust Yeah, like I I almost feel like is that, you know, is that beat writer when the WNBA comes back, right? Is that waiting for you or it's still uncertain and you can't plan on that? I definitely am not counting on it. Um, I I mean, I would love to. I I had so much fun covering the sky and covering the WNBA. It just is an unbelievably dynamic and interesting group of people. Um, And the basketball is really, really good. And I just love watching it. Um, But I, you know, I, I just, I don't feel like honestly, both because of COVID and because of the weirdness of the industry that I can like count on anything to be there for me on the other side, you know? So I, I kind of feel like anything that I, that, that happens in my career, I, I've never been very good at like pushing myself out there. Like I, I, I like being the nice person who brings cookies to things. I don't like being the person who is like, 
who's like having the aggressive for yeah, myself. But, but when you do things, nice things like bringing cookies, then you have people that are willing to push for you. So yes, I'll do what I can. I don't know what it's <laughs> worth, but yeah, it, I'm happy to try. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, I'm realizing that I have to, I have to be more comfortable in both roles. Like, yes, I'll still always bring cookies. Don't worry. I, w- I don't show up at a place without something I baked, but I, you know, also have to be the person that, that is more aggressive about getting the career I want. Yeah. I, you know, as you talk about the the industry shifts and everybody, you know, it does feel like a lot of what we saw everywhere else is true in sports where there were already challenges. COVID just exacerbated them or accelerated the change. I think with the athletic, it's, you know, always, everybody loves to kind of hail it as the success story without sort of acknowledging that like a lot of VC dollars are subsidizing a business that isn't really sustainable in its current form. And so, but I'm curious in the other side, sort of what we see, you know, I spend a lot of time in sort of ad world where we look at a lot of the research of consumers and that shift as far as the role of sport. And, and I think the WNBA might be one of the best examples, right? Where it's, it now stick to the, the stick to sports wall toppled completely. And, and we're sitting here the morning after a huge election in which, a WNBA owner was just ousted from her role, her seat in the, in the Senate, all of this. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are having spent so much time with the players about if the WNBA coverage were to come back, how that might look different just in terms of what stories you're covering and how you're, you know, and and how you're co-creating with a lot of these women who are such leaders, not just on the court, but, but beyond. I think the big thing that will be different is that, more people have acknowledged that the WNBA is is a force and that these athletes are just incredible. Um, and so I don't think it's necessarily that the stories will change because like one of the stories that I did very early in covering the sky was about how committed they are to LGBT causes. And this was a year before, this was in 2019. So they are activists. They, are, they have been activists. They're that part of them is not going to change. And I mean, and that's that's gonna happen when you have a league with openly LGBT players, when you have a league that's led by black women, like that's, they're going to be activists, that's part of it. Um, what I think will change is how, how people, how more people are gonna notice. And it, I truly think that the WNBA and women's sports in general, because when you look at the NWSL and NWHL too, those are areas for growth there's only so much more growth you could have in covering football, right? Like there's only so many, like there's a lot of guys out there that aren't football fans and they're not going to become football fans. But the, I feel like in women's sports, the potential hasn't been tapped like at all. So I think that what we're going to see is more, is just more coverage of it. Yeah. I I think definitely as you look at a time when, I don't know how many billions have been raised to hand blank checks to people to go invest in sports, whether it's these equity, private equity funds or SPACs, and you hear smart investors, people like Alexis Ohanian, who are going the, the big women's soccer is where there's there's this big upside opportunity. I wonder how much we'll see similarly with with the WNBA now, where if you want to buy into a basketball team, it's a lot lower price tag to go buy a WNBA team than it is to buy an NBA team or to buy an expansion team and, and see how that league grows. So, yeah, I mean, there are owners in the WNBA who aren't billionaires, which <laughs> It's a funny thing to say, but when you think about when you think about all of the rest of the ownership in the four major men's leagues, they're all billionaires. Every single like there's a, there's a whole lot of billionaires in that group. I mean, and LeBron James floated last night on Twitter. Maybe maybe I need to start a, an ownership group and try to buy the dream away from Cali. I mean, that's that would be an interest, quite an interesting thing to see. I almost feel like if he's tweeting it out, he's already, he's like trying to get the one last person on board to actually close the, you know, get everything done. We can hope. I mean, I, it would, it would make a ton of sense. It would be, I'd love to be great to see. Um, well, do we want to shift gears a little bit, Don, talk about some of the, the early days or the, the sort of Chicago days and, and Maggie as a, as that formative part of blogs with balls. Yeah, I mean, there's one or two ways we can go. We can keep working backwards, or we can jump all the way back. Um, you know, it's up to you. One thing, I, yeah. I mean, what, the one thing is, you know, talking about your career and the things that you've done um, that, that I find interesting is one, your sort of educational background. Uh, two, your sort of first foray into 
work, <laughs> work life, and and how we joked earlier that you've done it backwards, right? A lot of people go from the writing, editorial, media side into the agency side, whereas you kind of flipped it around from the agency side um, to the writing side. Um, so maybe let's let's start with that. Um, you know what? Well, let's start with your educational side. I, I always joke that you could always fall back and, and be a preacher if you so choose. <laughs> <laughs> which, which which some say could be very lucrative if you play your cards right but if, if i know. played my cards i think wrong would actually be <laughs> so so coming out of school i mean where, where did you want to go professionally what did you want to do well um when i so when i graduated from missouri what i really wanted to do was like work in pr for a team or like community relations for a team and I interned with the Bulls uh, the summer after I graduated, and which was a terrible experience. And then I interned at Georgetown University in their athletic department. Um, on like my whole job was focused on them hosting the NCAA men's tournament. I think it was like the first and second rounds at the at the time the MCI Center. Um, and so that was like my whole focus. But then when I was living in Washington D.C. I really miss Chicago. I really miss my family. And the main thing I wanted to do was get back home. Um, and so I had contacts at a couple agencies and got a job uh, working for an agency that doesn't exist anymore. Um, we pronounced it publicist dialogue. We found out later it's publicist, whatever. Um, like the publicist group. Yeah. We, I guess there was just too much Chicago in us to say it correctly. Um, so yeah, so I worked in, and then I, I like agencies, their layoffs are just like a, a common fact of life. So I got laid off a couple times and then I started working in not-for-profit and for schools. And then I was working at the schools is when I decided I wanted to maybe become a religion teacher. Um, and so I went and got a master's degree at Loyola in religious education and theology. And, but then it turns out no one was hiring for that. And I was just starting this writing thing on the side and it just kind of all, everything went into writing about sports and I got enough work that I could quit uh, working in nonprofits and it's all from there. So it's pretty much the way me and a lot of other guys got started and gals um, is just doing it for fun, doing it on the side and here, you know, it kind of transformed the direction or the trajectory of, of your professional career. Um, you know, timeline wise, probably right around the same time. I think I started doing this for fun in like 07 and yeah. it was just a way to reconnect with old grad school friends. Like we were all in different parts of the country writing about like different sports and different teams and it was fun. Um, but you got picked up by Yahoo and I did not. So how did that writing for fun uh, catch the right person's eye? I, you talked about your uh, unwillingness or uh, uh, shyness in pushing yourself out there. Were, were you discovered or were you actively looking for something like that? This is one of those those times when I like, I think I was young and dumb enough that I had no problem just being the most aggressive person in the world. Jamie Mottram had posted a job opening on, on Mr. Irrelevant um, about hire, about starting an Olympic sports blog. Um, and I was, I had my own site that I was writing about MMA and amateur wrestling at the time. And so. Um, Wait, what, what was the site called? Oh my God. It's so bad. Well, that's why I want to know. Cause they were all bad. Back so then. bad. <laughs> Ch- chicks heart fights. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it's it. So bad. I like, don't even it's like that. Worse than, it's not worse than hugging Harold Reynolds. So, <laughs> which God, what was, uh, well, it was a different time. It was a different that time. Would never, yeah. That would never fly now. Okay. No. So chicks heart fights. Chicks heart fights, which is so terrible. Um, and I had also like, I, I started writing because I read Deadspin and I love Deadspin so much. And so then I started writing, reading ladies and then, Ladies put out a call for writers. And so I started writing for ladies, um, ladies, dot, 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 I should say. Um, but then the four, when, when the Olympic sports blog job came, job posting came up, I emailed Jamie Matram and said, 
and said, you know, I really want to do this. These are some of my clips. And his first response to me was, this is good, but I need to see you write about more Olympic stuff, other things than wrestling. Can you, can you start a blog and write it for a month and I'll look for it? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Now looking back, I don't know if I would ever do that again, but I spent a month writing a site specifically for, to just to make Jamie want to hire me. Kyle, I think what was Jamie's quote on that first show that we did? Like we got away with murder or I got away with murder back then. <laughs> I was, I was going to say the, the Matram charm could get people to like work for a month for free. You know, that only- and I didn't even, I didn't even know about the blue eyes at that point yet. <laughs> I mean, I had no, I just, but yeah, he totally did get me to work for a month for free. And wait, here's really where he got away with murder. And I was very dumb. I named my site fourth place metal. When we were starting the when we were starting the the Olympics blog, we were on a conference call, or like Jamie and I were on a call before that, and then then we and I said, and Jamie's like, we just don't know what to name it, and I said, oh, you guys could just take fourth place medal. And then when we were on the conference call, I can't remember if it was Nick Friedel or Chris Chase, but they said they said like, hey Maggie, how much money did you get for giving the name? And and Jamie goes, she got our love and appreciation. <laughs> And a, and a job. So there and, we go. Well, honestly, that was all I wanted was I wanted a place to write about the Olympics where people would read me. And that absolutely happened. So, you know, whatever. I, I actually think there that's one of the best, like we were all doing it for the love and appreciation is probably one of the best sort of simple ways to sum up like the passion that everybody just sort of had when we crammed into basements and wherever to talk about this stuff. It was you know, to go to like, just like people who might meet up to talk about their love of sewing and crafting. We were just crafting around sports with words. Um, Yeah. Um, I'm curious, actually, this is maybe a little, little left field, but having spent time and and studied and, and all religion and thinking about sports, certainly sports in Chicago and the, like the, you know, overlap for you of what you see as somebody who's a theology scholar and, and somebody who's been deep in the sports world. Oh, I mean, it's funny you say that at um, mass at Holy name cathedral on Sunday, which is Holy name cathedral is like the seat of the archdiocese of Chicago. Um, one of the priests who was saying mass with Cardinal Supich with our, our, the guy in charge of everything um, added a prayer at the end of the day, at the end of mass for the bears and put on a bears face mask. So, you know, I mean, it is, it's serious here. Um, and it is, it is funny when you talk about ritual, like ritual is such an important part of religion and it's also such an important part of sports. So like Don, you being, you being Italian and, and I think Catholic, I, I know guilty, if somebody guilty and, is guilty and guilty, right. But if someone, God forbid, passes away in your family, you know exactly what to do, don't you? There's the wake, there's food, there's the prayers that you say. You you find comfort in that. Well, we do the same exact thing as sports fans. When you go when you go to a Bears game and the announcer says, there's a timeout. Everybody in the fan in the stands says, where? And then he says, on the field. Those are like it's just one of those rituals you find comfort in. And I think that's one of the ways that sports I see a similarity between sports and religion is, is in the comfort in that we find in ritual. You know, it's, it's amazing. You said that cause I, I just got chills because my grandmother actually passed away uh, in April. We were unable to go through those rituals. That's what's um, the hardest part. You know what you didn't know what to do. Right. And we had, and we had this ceremony actually just after, um, just after Christmas, so 26. And I was asked to give the, they don't call it a eulogy, the words of remembrance now. But one thing that uh, I highlighted in that was our traditions and how I thought we were so overly invested in our traditions as, as a family and turning around that, um, you know, it wasn't so much about the things that we do and when we do them and how we do them, but the people that we do them with, which I think is another big part of sports, right? You have that also that clan, that team, those fellow fans and that, um, yeah, there certainly is comfort. So 
we are again serendipitously how this was set up by Kyle and what you said, <laughs> kind of coming back to something I just uh, I just went through. Uh, I I can one hundred percent relate. And you know, again, weird year. We had to wait uh, what nine months to to do those rituals, but it was the same thing. It was like, and I mean, I've been bitching about it on Twitter. If anybody follows, every time something comes up, it's like, well, but I, you know, they can do X, Y, and Z, but I can't like have a funeral because like we need to do those things to bring closure. Yeah. And, and because they know, you know what to do in those moments. And a lot of times when we lose somebody or, or what, or also the happy moments too, a baby is born. So what do you do? You, you plan the baptism, you get excited about that. Like all of these things that you just know what to do in the moment. That's what ritual sometimes gives to us. And so we absolutely, we absolutely do that for sports, you know, and, and that we know, we know when to cheer. We know when to be quiet. And when somebody doesn't know those rituals, they stick out. Somebody's, somebody's being loud at the wrong time. So like that shows them as not part of your group. All right. Now I'm really going to flip this around and talk a lot of what you've spoken about and that we've emphasized at, at Blogs of Balls. There is also sort of the fanaticism that comes with fans and, you know, people that, um, you know, think they know everything and think that certain people don't know what they're talking about. As someone who's given her opinion on sports, a predominantly, unfortunately, I would say, um, yeah, I don't know, testosterone driven, <laughs> uh, you know, you're someone who covered wrestling, MMA, football, right? Uh, and then the WNBA. So the reaction when you say give an opinion or a take in MMA or football, male, male sports, as a female writer or uh, radio host, um, what sort of Veritol have you faced in, in that sense? And I think, again, a lot of that goes back to this is how things are done. <laughs> and yeah. it, this is the society that we live in. So uh, a little insight on that. I mean, in, in both MMA, in both in covering MMA and football, um, like people will tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. They don't have to agree with me, but in covering MMA and football, it's just the, the anger that came behind it. And the, uh, I don't know really what the, the right word for it was, but like that they clearly felt powerless somewhere else in their life. So then they took that powerlessness and was like, well, I'm going to feel powerful over you. And so that would be in death threats and rape threats and, uh, people printing up t-shirts calling me the C word and Joe Rogan calling me the C word and all of these things happening, like, because they didn't like something I said about mixed martial arts in the, in covering the WNBA, it's, um, like, I, I haven't gotten any of the vitriol or anything like I did when covering MMA and football, but there's also like, there's also this feeling that if you don't say what they thought you were going to say, you've disappointed them. <laughs> and that hurts in a, a very different, less frightening way. But there are times when it's like, like the M the WNBA and women's basketball crew is like, so it's so close. And also because there is activism just as part of it, there's an activism saying no women do belong playing professional sports that like, you have to like work together to help grow women's sports. And you have in like, I feel like there are times if you say anything that's negative about the league or the owners or the players or anything, you have to make sure you really back it up well, because you don't want to look like you're denigrating the sport. Well, that's, that's interesting. And that's like a line to walk. And again, as a professional, you know, being able to do your job in a really unfiltered way, um, having that pressure of, you know, society and, and, and PC culture kind of weighing down on you too. But, but also, yeah, the, <laughs> that all, you know, all ties are going to raise the ships and, you know, what's good for the sport is good for everyone involved. Um, did you also get, let's go back to the sort of the, the assholes um, <laughs> and, and the threats. Um, do you find yourself defending the, defending the sport more um, not so much defending you, yourself uh, and, and the fact that you have, valued opinions, but defending the sport as a female sport being a viable force in this country, you know, politically aside as a, as a sports entertainment, uh, property. Um, I, a, a little bit, but usually anybody who, anybody who would come to me with like, like, Oh, it's not a real sport. They can't play. 
I know that this isn't a person I'm actually going to change their opinion on. Um, when people would bring things to me like, like the the uh, rim needs to be lowered, I would have a discussion with that. That's then a person that wants to open a discussion. When they say it like that, like, well, why don't they lower, lower the rim so they can dunk more? That's somebody that actually does care about basketball. And so that's somebody I want to talk to. But if somebody just is coming with me, like coming at me with, you know, they need to get back in the kitchen, then I, they're not worth talking to because I'm not going to change their mind. So um, I do, I do find myself a little bit defensive of women's basketball, but I'm also, that is something I'm, I was used to from covering MMA because MMA has a chip on its shoulder at all times and always has this thing about, about being the outcasts and the different ones. And, and no, we're not the football guys. No, we're not the basketball guys. We're different. And so I would, I would, and I still do defend MMA a whole lot because it does have that kind of different feel. And because it is open or it has been historically open to outcasts. I love that about it. So that was, that wasn't a new thing. It was when I was covering football and it was the most popular thing that, I was confused by it because I, I just, I'm more comfortable with the outcasts. And I'm not to, not to keep dwelling on it, but I'm curious just from a practical standpoint as somebody who had one, one death threat online over his, his, and it was for my, somebody who wanted my Instagram handle wasn't for anything I had said or done, but somebody who was trying to extort uh, a five letter Instagram handle from me. But how do you, how do you deal when you get, death threats. And when you get, I mean, people printing shirts with you, like what, what's the, how do you handle that? I mean, the, the beauty of when all of this happened is I was most of the, the worst stuff happened is what I was at Yahoo and I was with a really good team of people. And so I could say to Mark Pesavento and Jamie Matram and Dave Morgan, like this, this happened, this happened. And I would get this swarm of support first with my Yahoo, fellow Yahoo sports bloggers then with like the rest of the kind of blog family would like kind of just surround me with, with like love and care. And so, I mean, part of it, part of the really good thing of the timing of when I was going to school for my theology degree and when all of the worst of like Joe Rogan and then this, this other guy printing the shirts it all happened at the same time as I was taking classes in spirituality and forgiveness and all of these things. So I would be doing my readings for my class and it would be about forgiving people and trying to see things from other people's perspective and how to pray for your enemies. And like the serendipity of the timing of those two things was, was it turned out to be a very healthy thing for me because it helped me get past all of it, but also just having, having so many people have my back both practically and then even just people sending me tweets and DMS, like all of those things together helped me get through a lot of that. Yeah. I, it's the reason I got out of politics. Like people were crazy. I mean, this is 15 years ago. I got all that and I'm like, you don't even know me. Like I'm pretty middle of the road as they come. Um, I just, and, and to get that over something I wasn't even that passionate about in terms yeah. of, like, you know, people come and go, politicians come and go. Like I'm worried about my family and the people that are around me and just being the best person that I can and just getting that. But yeah, I, I chose to, I didn't have that support, I guess. I, I was like, you know what? Like this just isn't healthy and I don't enjoy it and it's not really worth it. But, um, I'm, I don't miss those days, but, uh, I can, I can somewhat relate, but again, I'm not in your shoes. I'm not a female. I do have three daughters and mothers and sisters and, um, yeah, good for you. And, and I think that also talks a lot about our community as bloggers. Um, you know, like you're one of us, we're, we're on this together. We're going through the same stuff and yeah, there's some bad takes, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of those guys and those guys that you mentioned, you know, Mark and Jamie, you know, specifically are, are have always been great stand up guys, too. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, maybe I got to try some more spiritual stuff because that sounds it, like the way to go. It, it helped. And the other side of it, too, is that when you have when you have somebody who is breathing fire at you and telling them that you're going to pray for them. Oh, that's power. That's such power. 
And and look, I did I did pray for them. I want to be clear. I did I did pray for them, but also saying like, I understand you're upset. I think you have something going on wrong in your life, so I'm gonna pray for you. Oh man, they get pissed them off so much more. But they couldn't say anything. What could they say? Right. I mean, I, I think the uncertainty and the the sort of fear that I might have personally is just the fear of the unknown. Like you don't know who these people are, what they're capable of, how serious they are. Right. If it's a general troll, good. I like the troll with the best of them. Just ask my giants fans this past weekend. Like I'm, I'm all for that, but like that nasty that you don't know who these people are. And I think that's that uncertainty of, of the web, um, you know, is just what's, what's the most paralyzing in some instances. I think the times that it scared me the most were not actually when I was covering MMA, but it was when I was doing the radio show because they all knew where we were. They knew where our studio was. They knew where our parking garage was. There was no security to get in and out of the parking garage. And so there were times at night, like especially when we were doing shows later in the day or, or coming out of the studio at night, that Julie and I would walk to our cars together with like nine one dialed on our phones, you know, keys in between our hands. We would even like drive each other to our, our cars if we would have had to walk too far because sometimes people would get insanely angry at us and call in on the radio and all of that. And I wasn't always super confident that they wouldn't want to come down because they knew, they knew exactly who we are. They know what we look like, everything. And if they wanted to come after us, they could have. So I think that was probably the time I was most, those were the times I was most afraid. And I really don't know if there's a solution to that. I don't, ex- except for sticking together, you know, I mean, like that's really the only way we, to make sure that we felt safe. But that, that was one of the few, the only times when it was like, I don't know who my enemy is and they might be parked in the car next to me. You know, you never, you never had anything actually go to anybody Physically, all right, and even I, mean, I, I hope, especially not in the parking structure. But did you have ever physical run-ins with people on the street or any kind of face-to-face encounters that you remember? No, this is the super fun thing about trolls. When they meet you face to face, they generally become very, very kind because they're looking at an actual human and not a name on a page. So, um, like, uh, there were a couple MMA events that I covered that guys would come up to me and say, and say like, I hate everything you write, but you seem so nice. And then I would offer them a cookie and say like, and say like, okay, see, I am a nice person. I'm like, and it doesn't, it doesn't even matter if I'm a nice person, I'm a person. So maybe think about that. There's a human at the other end of this. Um, And even, even like when we would do with the radio show, when we would do remotes, so we would, you know, go to some bar and somewhere in the suburbs of Chicago, usually very far away uh, from my apartment. But um, we would, people would know we were going, we were going to be at this Buffalo Wild Wings or this, whatever the sports bar was. And so if they had anything to say to us, they could have come up and walked up to us and said it, but trolls will never do that. So I, I luckily knock on wood there. Oh, there's some, um, knock on wood. I never had any sort of confrontations or anything like that. Um, at the sports ones, it helped that we had a former bears player, Lance Briggs sitting with us. So, you know, when you have a linebacker, when you have a giant linebacker sitting between you, you know, definitely makes you feel more safe. Yeah. Yeah. Lance, Lance is a pretty good, uh, wingman in those situations. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's funny bringing it back around to some of the identity stuff and trolls and, and certainly, just thinking about everybody sort of how we've all somewhat become schizophrenic in that sense, right? We've got this sort of online identity and, and a lot of these things that we care about are so tied up in it. And then we've got a real world identity that's probably dialed back two or three notches that is probably hungry or desperate for human connection. Um, and, and I wonder how much just like, just like you described with this year and the impact on your identity, um, and Don and I have talked about it quite a bit. Sports goes away, and it's like, who am I when I'm not right. watching sports? You know, Matt Matt Cerrone was was great a couple of weeks ago talking about as he recognized that need to pull away, and then this year even further. Um, and I, you know, it's and I don't know, it's sort of just rambling, but a but a sort of pontification around or provocation around what 
that's done to the individual who doesn't write or, but just is a troll and their yeah. identity was tied to being an MMA troll or a whatever troll. And that goes, that hits pause. And what do you do? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that there are a lot of trolling, not like the, like people who are just like, lack of better term, shit posting, being, you know, just kind of doing it for fun. But the people who like make that their thing is like, I'm going to be really angry about say, uh, Alabama or Auburn, Auburn football, not getting the recruit I want. So I'm going to be angry and I'm going to tweet that recruit. I'm going to do all that. Then uh, that goes away. They don't have like that place to kind of push their anger. And, and so I think that is, is a, was a huge problem was there was a whole lot of people that didn't know where to put their anger. And I think that's why you have things like people yelling about being maskless in a, in a grocery store. Or, and quite frankly, I remember it was right around uh, uh, 2011, 2012. My, one of my uh, coworkers at Yahoo, Dave Doyle, the longtime MMA editor, amazing man. He, he did say to me, he said, Maggie, they're just the crazy people yelling in the street. And I was like, yeah, but if nobody listens to them, if nobody knows, tells them where to put their anger there, it's just going to keep getting worse. And I didn't think of that at the time, but I do see how in 2016, this kind of rise of a very angry, angry voter, how some of that might've been born back when we were just ignoring people as trolls. Yeah. I think that's been their biggest argument, right? Is that they've been displaced and, and, and unheard and, you know, taking control back and this, you know, to the people. Um, So why do you want to keep doing this? (laughs) Or or, or I should say in in an ideal world, um, you know, what do you want to do next? Like what, if, if you had your choice? Well, um, that's, that's been a, a big, a big area of, of thought and discussion and, and journaling and all of the things over the past couple of months, quite frankly, I've been, I've been working on a, a young adult novel and that's really where I would like to go in an ideal world. Um, I'd like to be a YA novelist and, and write, and then, I've really liked podcasting too. And I recently started a Star Trek podcast with my friend, Lawrence Holmes from the score and another blogs of balls guy, another blogs of balls guy. Absolutely. And just an all around amazing human being. Um, and so I don't know if sports is in my future. I, I have like a job right now where I'm editing, editing for a, like a, a private company. And a lot of the stuff I have to edit is sports related. Um, but, and, and like, I'm probably going to keep doing that because, you know, money is nice. Um, but I, I don't, I just don't know. And I, I don't know if there is necessarily a spot for me in the sports in the future. Cause I'm not really that big into gambling. I like, if other people want to do that with their money, that's fine, but I'm not very crazy about it. Um, and I feel like a lot of times that's where sports is growing is into the gambling space since it is so legal, since it is legal everywhere now. So I, I don't know if there's a place for me in sports. I'm always going to be a sports fan. I'm always going to be, you know, a goofball on Twitter about the Cubs and the bears and the bulls. Um, but I don't know if it's necessary, if, if working in sports is part of my, whatever my next act is. Any, I'm interested about definitely the, the digging in and writing a novel and congrats. Cause I feel like that's something that takes a huge leap in its own right. So, so, you know, the fact that you've gone down that road, but. And Kyle and I have a couple baked in uh focus group individuals for you. And oh yeah, exactly. that's right. 10 year old daughter over here. Yeah. I'm going to living in the household. So yeah, I will take over. you both up on that, <laughs> but, but I think encourage them to with, read. Great. <laughs> two things within there. That's really interesting. One is that sort of making that shift to writing something longer form, writing something that's meant to be more timeless versus the mostly ephemeral kind of sports writing world and shifting gears from sports into, I'm assuming it's probably not a YA novel that lives deep in the world of a Cubs fan or bears fan. I could be wrong, but, <laughs> it's um, not. 
uh, I would love Lance Briggs to make a cameo in there. Somewhere. <laughs> I think there's probably a place for him, but, but any words of advice in, in both ways of kind of moving from short form sports writing into long form about other topics for people out there that, you know, looking to make a similar leap myself included probably. <laughs> well, I mean, I want to first put the caveat that I have not finished the novel yet. It's close, but not there. Um, but I would say that the, the practice of, of sports blogging, of writing all the time and of writing, even sometimes when you don't have the best ideas, let's, let's be honest. We've all, we all have those posts out there that we know that we look back and we're like, Ooh, can't believe I wrote that. Um, I think that works really well into the daily practice of, of writing a novel or, or writing a nonfiction or what, you know, writing a book that's going to be long. I aim to write about from 800 to 1200 words a day on my book. And in doing that, that's basically what my output was when I was doing three to four blog posts a day, you know? So the practice of writing every day is a great one that we can take from blogging and doing these shorter posts and, and even just being an idiot on Twitter to into writing a novel because it's just it's just about plugging away at it. The bigger thing, the harder thing, of course, is the bigger idea in, in making all of this work in the revising. Um, those are all the, the much more difficult areas of it, I think. But I think the, the just writing every single day, even when you don't necessarily have your best words, is like really the great thing we can we can take away from it. So speaking of idiots on Twitter and so forth, uh, I, I, I like to ask... Um, you know, when we heard when you heard there was a blogger conference uh, going on, what what were your impressions of it, and uh, any like fond or unfond memories over the years because you've attended and been a part of quite a few? Oh my gosh, so many fond memories! Oh good. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I, good I had a I had a blast. Um, I remember being originally annoyed with the name because I was like, I don't have yeah. balls. Does that make me not a part of it? So I'll be honest with you guys. I was no, I was annoyed by that. Um, but I mean, one of the big parts of it is that Yahoo, we all worked in different parts of the country. I didn't meet Mark Pesavento or Jay Busby or uh, Jamie Matram or all of these people who have been so important in my life. Chris Chase, you know, God rest. I mean, I didn't get to meet any of them until I went to a Blogs of the Falls conference. That's where I first met all of these people and got to hug them and, and see them. And it just is, um, I will forever treasure that. I, I mean, oh God, so many just fun memories of, of hanging out and just talking with, with all these people that are such, were such an important part of my life, but I never saw. Um, that was a huge part of it. I also have a very fond memory of the last one that was in Chicago. And I was on a panel. Now I look back at this panel, I'm like, my God, what a group. It was Amy Goose from Crane Chicago was host, was our uh, moderator. And it was me and Julie DeCaro and Andrea Hanks and Sarah Spain. I feel like there was one other, maybe, I don't know. I think that was it. But the very best part of it was the group of the group of people that were like in the front rows watching it it was all these younger women wanting to work in sports and having just brilliant questions and having, you know, and having access to us so that they could ask these questions and realizing that like the women in sports working in sports community, we are tight. We have many group DMS. We talk all the time. And so like we got to kind of welcome this next group and answer their questions. And um, it was, it was just a great, great thing. And that is, I don't know. I can't say what my fondest memory is because I have so many of being in Well, Toronto. I don't know. As a, as a girl dad, I'm about to cry because, man, that, that just, that's awesome. It, I, I wish, I have like a picture in my mind of the the way these, these young women were looking up at us that will, I, I'm honestly, I think of it on bad days of like, that's right. You, you know, you've had some bad crap happen recently, but you know you are capable of doing a lot because those women thought something of you, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't think I could just write down one thing that was my favorite memory and working in of going to blogs with balls because there just were so many. I mean, hanging out with Tiki Barber, that like Tiki Barber and I were like best buds by the end of the event in Toronto. Like, what? 
how does that happen in my life? Like, it, because I can still to this day be like, well, that one time when I was talking with Tiki Barber. <laughs> and you were on, you were on the Tiki panel, right? Yeah. I, that's, what I, that's what I love too, because you're on the football panel and you're on the female panel, right? You're not getting yeah. pigeonholed, right? It's just, that's what we always profess. Like everyone's on equal footing here. Yeah. I mean that the, the football panel, like I, there was a picture. It was that a came. hell of a panel too. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia Tala was on that too. And uh, Brinson. I, oh yeah. That's right. And Will Brinson was on it. Cause we were making fun of him. Fooch. It might've been Fooch or yeah. Josh. There was a lot of bald guys. So it was like George Tiki. Uh, it might've been Fooch or, or Josh. Uh, yeah. Zirkle. It might've been Zirkle. There. I mean that like that, it was just like, Oh, an incredible panel to be on. And like now when it comes up in my Facebook memories, like I, I just laugh like, what was I doing there? <laughs> but I, but like, you know, you have those moments where you think that and they're like, oh, well, that's right. You've been on the Today Show talking about football. Shut up. You're fine. You know, but imposter syndrome is a hard thing to to kick away. Well, we've we spent ten years apologizing about the name, so we'll we'll continue. I was just going to say, just know <laughs> the the amount of time we had to spend trying to back that out. Or I know names or and whatever. Every time we tried, people just kept referring to it as blogs with balls, and we're like, stop calling. And it was bad enough back then, and then we definitely hit a point a few years ago where it went from like. Oh, that was regrettable. We were juvenile to like, ooh, we probably, I don't really know if I want to say this in public anymore. Let me change my, uh, this is really out of context is not a good look for us. So, um, you you know, we appreciate that you uh, tolerated that. I think I remember a couple of conversations where you were, you were candid in your feedback. It's not something you've held yeah, quietly. You, no. Amanda, yeah, Amanda they, as well, right, Cough, And it was at that Chicago, that second one yeah. too, where it was, and we're like, we, 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 then we tried the acronym and finally, I mean, it took, you know, 2019, we finally changed the name and here we are. But like, that was because we had to let it die to, to resurrect the new one. <laughs> had, to, had to be the Phoenix, had to, had to actually kill the bird. <sighs> yes, absolutely. Um, well, Maggie, this has been uh, a lot of fun. And, and I, I honestly think this is the most emotional one that I've done, man. Just hearing some of the stuff that you're talking about really hits hard um, on both ends. Like, yeah, you know, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of craziness, but but certainly a lot of laughter and, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time today and, and also over the years and coming and your baked goods and your contributions have been incredible. And we can't wait to see, you know, what's next for you. Well, thank you. This was this was really fun. I I don't do the whole like thinking back on my career much because I'm you know I'm 41. I'm not like retiring, so I don't think about it often. So this was really this was nice and a touch but cathartic. 10, 11 years in internet years is probably about 30, 40 years in in real years. So yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, so. <laughs> we all have the, the scars and aging to prove that, right? Uh, no, Maggie, thank you so much, and and definitely give us you know we'll share links to podcasts. Come back soon please and definitely yeah. we've got the novel ready we'll, we'll promote that out to dawn and, and my uh circle of daughters and, and burgeoning sort of influencers <laughs> in their own right i hate that term but you know they've got their <laughs> own little circles that no but um thrilled to hear all the stuff that you're you're doing now and how you're kind of using using this year as a as a step forward as a leap forward so um thank you here. Amazing. Maggie, thank you very much. Kyle, thank you. Until next week, I'm Don Pobia. This is the OGs, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody.